Let me look at my notes here. Wait a minute, I don't need these things. We're done with this fucking book. Uh, it's the wrap up episode. Yay. It was always kind of in the middle for me growing up, and then rereading it as an adult, it is my least favorite. Yes. Also, by the way, this is Basic Snitches. Hi, Basic Snitches. Hi, Basic Snitches. Hi, Gay Sick Snitches. Hi, you basic bitch. I mean, snitch. You basic snitch. It's literally the name of the podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Tara. You're me. I'm Adam. Congratulations. Oh, I'm so sorry that you had to be Tara. No, I'm Brian. You, I'm sorry, I'm you Tara. had to be Tara. Wait, it's my birthday, though, so at least it's It is. Then. It's your birthday. Congratulations, Brian Tara. It's your birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to you. And this is the wrap-up of Order of the Phoenix. Woo! I'd like to thank all of our patrons who pay for the patronage. Including yourself. Including, including you. myself. Yes. I'd like to thank me. Since he acknowledged himself, would you like to acknowledge Yeah, the other so ones? I would also like to acknowledge the rest of our delightful patrons. Okay, don't acknowledge Brian. But <laughs> acknowledge me. I need validation. I just acknowledged you. So but also, <clears throat> besides Brian, we have Ashley, Brittany, Jen, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Meredith, Nisi, Olivia, Nicole, and Raph. Ding dong, baby. Ooh. And this week we're gonna bitch about Green Rant because that's one of my favorite things to do on a Patreon exclusive. So if you would like to be part of the Screen Rant bitching, please join our Patreon. Well, if you want to be part of the bitching, sorry, you're not here. But if you would like if to, if you've ever listened to, to podcasts like me, I will bitch at them. But no, do you guys bitch on us? They might. I want to know. They might. Listen, I have definitely bitched at that podcast before, including myself while I listen to our episodes. Please join us for just a couple dollars a month. You can hear our voices more and enjoy the ridiculous screen rants we like to tear apart. Hear some updates from us. Hear us play some fun games. All kinds of fun extra content. Just go to our website, basicsnitches.com. Click on Patreon and choose a tier. We have a $3, a $5, and a $10. And there are all kinds of great opportunities for you to interact with us even more in that regard. Can confirm it's worth it. Yeah. I drank almost by the wine. I've had a few rums. What have you? Is that what I'm drinking? Am I drinking rum still? You're drinking rum. I just still. said Brian put alcohol in his glass, and he did. And I did a damn good job. You should I feel like did. we're back in the saddle. Again. Our bullshit. Yes. Back because on our bullshit. The last few episodes, we have not really been drinking even in the middle of the day. It's been a while since I've been like drunk on the podcast. Yeah. Me too. Shit. Like, since, like, one of the first few episodes I was on. Well, here we are. We're here doing we it are. for the final or episode of season at five. At least the hundredth episode, I was definitely drunk for that one. I mean, everyone was. <laughs> We're moving swiftly to the 200th episode. Right? Guys, what but, the hell? Anywho, the next thing on the agenda is what is usually on the agenda, and that is, who was the winner of Loser of Chapter 38? Oh. And the winner of Loser of the book. Okay. The whole book. Oh, okay. I wonder 
you guess who the winner of Loser of Chapter 38 is? I'm gonna say the loser is Draco, and the mm. winner is Gonagal? I'm gonna say the winner is Luna. <gasps> Okay, I changed my okay. And okay. I'm gonna say the loser. I wanna say Draco. I'm just trying to think if there's anyone else who it might be. Okay, so the winner is Luna. The loser is Umbridge, because that bitch be mentioned in the chapter, so she loses! <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, I almost said that because she's in the chapter, but then I was like, she doesn't do anything. And she's literally like Draco. almost corpse in the chapter. But I wish she was. Right? I almost gave it to Draco, but I was like, but she's here, here, so... Winner or loser of the book? For the record, there are two winners. Yes, you are 100% correct on who the loser is, yes. so we don't even need to talk about that so garbage. My, my mm. guess for one of the winners is Ron. This is a great book mm. for Ron. That might be a little bit controversial, because when it comes down to like the lurch of it, Dumbledore and Harry are definitely really prominent at the beginning, but throughout the book, I feel like Ron has such a good trajectory and so many good moments. What says you? I can agree with that, that one of them would be Ron. I want to say Luna for the other one, just because... Mm. I'm sorry, this is Luna's book. Yeah, I think I agree. Those are my guesses. Yeah. Well, Luna is one of them. Aw, I lose. I think Ron is really, really, really makes a great showing in this book. There's an argument for literally almost all of these kids. Ron, Luna, Ginny, Hermione, Neville... Neville. Even Harry with everything he goes through, that being said, the other winner is Hermione. I think that my frustration with Hermione is usually a bit unfair in this book because she's always so aware. She's always so smart. And when she's not the Hermione that we need her to be, she's frustrating. To be fair, I can't expect her to be on her game all the time. When she is on her game in this book, she is convincing Harry to teach people defense against the dark arts. She's literally saving their asses from umbrage and giving them an opportunity to move forward in their plan to get through this. And hopefully murder her. But and, right. And at the same time, you know, yeah, she has some bad looks with the centaurs and some other things. But at the same time, like, she's also being a kid who is getting her fucking homework done. She's kind to everyone. There are a lot of great options. And then Luna is everything that the story needs at this point. Yes. I think if Harry were going through this book without Luna, and she's not even that present for him, but sometimes you just need that slight presence, that tiny interaction of, I believe you, from someone else. Like, that's all he needed. Like, he, he's not sitting down having dinner with Luna every night and her being, like, his therapist. Mm-hmm. She's just that kind of presence and that's what he needed in this book i think yeah that last moment of luna is very telling another reiteration of one of the things i love so much about these books is the way that there are these heterosexual friendships that are friendships there's no oh well they have to be dating now there has to be romance that is one reason why i've always liked that ron and hermione end up together you're like reading the trajectory of the book you're like well harry and hermione should end up together and i'm like why can't harry and hermione have a platonic strong friendship love and luna's just another example of that and again she's introduced and she's still a strong platonic friendship yeah. love and not something else she really brings out a calmness that harry needs cool i hope you guys approve of my winners yeah i think hermione is an interesting choice i personally yeah. i would have put ron before hermione for this book I but i think as far as growth and if, it, if we were comparing ron against ron in other books 
Absolutely. But when it boils down to the things that made the story progress in a way that got us to where we are now, Hermione pushing the DA and getting them out of the thing with Umbridge were the things that I was like, yeah. For me, she got a big L as far as the Rita Skeeter article. I found that to be such poor taste, but those two things really pushed her over the edge. Next, we're going to go into some themes that we see throughout the series. We have three themes. Um, the first one that we are going to talk about is denial. Okay. Particularly, we see denial when Ceres dies, of course, but I think we see some denial throughout the entire series. Let me preface that by saying that the, the denial is this fresh book. on the mind. Yeah, in this book. Yes. But the other place where we see a lot of denial is, of course, from the Ministry when it comes to Voldemort's return. I mean, we would not have the setup of this book if it were not for that. Where else do we see elements of denial throughout this book? I have not read the poll book recently enough yeah. to actually be able to, like... That is fair. Like, I have to think about that. You know, let's start at the very beginning. Very good place to start. That's why I paused. Thank you. <laughs> of course, denial is a theme in the series from the, literally the very beginning with the Dursleys. That is where Harry begins. He just had this horribly traumatic thing happen with watching Cedric die, but you know, bookends of watching people die. Mm -hmm. So there is that, but then he is left in kind of this vacuum of what is reality and what is not. Did I really see that? Almost is what it feels like at the beginning. It's just all a dream. He starts experiencing potential messages from the magical world, like the backfiring car that actually is somebody apparating, mm -hmm. which is, I think, yep. and then the flurry of the pack of owls that happened. And then we quickly get into when he goes to Grimmauld Place and the way that some people are reacting to Harry being there and Harry feeling like he's been outcasted. You know, Cedric dying was a big thing for him and people not necessarily treating it as such. And then, of course, getting into the whole thing with the ministry. So from the very beginning, we have these kind of like shadows of doubt that aren't necessarily denial, but kind of impact him in a way that sets up the rest of the book. And then we end with the same thing with Sirius dying. And especially in these last couple chapters, him constantly thinking about Sirius, not really accepting it, and then trying to grasp at straws, like the mirror, and then talking to Nick at the end. An interesting lens to look at denial through in this book is actually Dumbledore. Interesting. So we don't spend time with Dumbledore in this book because right. Harry doesn't spend time with Dumbledore in this book. Dumbledore kind of gives it all to you in that chapter, in The Lost Prophecy. He says to Harry, I didn't tell you because I cared too much about you. And looking at that kind of statement and that, that kind of unloading that Dumbledore does in this chapter through the lens of denial, I find to be kind of, I don't know, it's a little different, but at the same time, it's actually quite telling of where Dumbledore is. As you process the whole series and once you get to the last couple of books and of course with like the new Fantastic Beasts series, and I said this a couple episodes ago, this does not seem to be Dumbledore's MO, that he gets to the point where he is that caring of students to the point where he goes, I'm concerned about making you worry about what your life is about. That Harry comes in at 11 years old and he does the whole thing for Harry. And he's like, was 11 too young? I thought so because I wanted to spare your feelings. He wanted to spare his emotions and all this time. And 
to me, that's kind of a layer of denial that Dumbledore is not willing to let go of that power and that control. Because Harry shows him in his first year that he is capable of way more than should be expected of an 11-year-old. And Dumbledore says that to him. You showed me you could handle this. And I still didn't tell you. Because you're not willing to let go of that control or share with someone else because you are a very superior person. This is not actually me ripping up Dumbledore and saying that he's a bad dude, but like this is part of Dumbledore's problem. This is part of his flaw as a headmaster, as the person who is putting all this together. You can't be the only one that knows everything. You can't. Nothing's going to get done. It's like a job. If you and I work at the same place and I'm the only one that knows how to do my job, what if something happens to me? Dumbledore operates like that. And this is the book where he's finally, but he's not even finally like I have to tell Harry because he still doesn't tell him everything until the next book. But I think that he spends four books being like, Harry doesn't need to know. I think that Dumbledore is in denial that someone else has to handle this because it can't be just him because he is old as fuck and he has got to be, and he knows obviously because we learn about it in the next couple books, he has got to be the target of Voldemort trying to take over the world. Voldemort can't just be like, oh, I'll kill Harry Potter and everything will be fine. Dumbledore still exists. Dumbledore, I thought, was a very interesting lens of denial. That's a great point. I was like, yeah, we talked about it in each of the chapters where Harry and I talked a little bit about Hermione even being denial of the idea that this couldn't possibly be as bad as it is because what happens if it is? That's a very relatable thing too. But Dumbledore, like, it's just being hit in his face. You cannot take this alone. You cannot do this. That's what Harry's trying to do. Harry's trying to handle all of this on his own because, well, look what his mentor's doing. Why are we surprised that Harry is like, you guys can't die? for me. What is fucking Dumbledore doing? The next one that we have is communication but, or lack thereof. But. Particularly lack thereof. <laughs> and I mean we find so many of this. Like I said previously, you know, it starts at the beginning where he doesn't have any communication and he's at for the try. Then we get into Hogwarts where communication is difficult. Their mail is being read. They can't use the flu network. When he does use the flu network, he talks to Creature, and Creature gives an incorrect message. He misses out on the best part of communication, and it's through the mirror that we find about in the mm-hmm. very last chapter. There's this communication that he's getting through his dreams that is also all a miscommunication. There are so many elements of this throughout the entire book. And I mean, some of this has to go with the denial. I mean, Umbridge won't even teach them the correct stuff because, according to her, everything is a lie, etc. Where else, other than those elements, do we see so, communication lacking? Just to compound a little bit on one of the things you mentioned, which was the letters being monitored, is that there's no option for communication that is safe. Right. There's no option for secure, confidential communication between children and their parents. Mm -hmm. Even their professors. Their professors. Like, there's no safe place for them in that regard. So that's actually the second biggest frustration for me. Obviously, the first biggest frustration is Dumbledore not... Or it doesn't have to be Dumbledore. Dumbledore not having anyone reach out to Harry to make sure that he is doing okay at the beginning of the summer. I will even push that a little bit further and say... The one moment where they do have an opportunity to gather around and have some communication. The Hogshead, they're being overheard 
mm-hmm. by Mundungus as that fancy lady. It wasn't there also somebody like wrapped up. Willie Wittershins. That's right. That's the fucker who set off the toilets. Yes. And then there's Aberforth as well. But Aberforth's a member of the order too. So. Right. Although, it's almost like miscommunication with the reader as well because when I assigned points, I gave fancy lady points. And I took points away from Aberforth because he was an asshole. What you see isn't what you get. You know, there's all the smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of things that are not being adequately portrayed. And the funny thing is, is that one of the moments of clarity in the book involves Rita Skeeter. And she sort of redeems herself. It's not quite a redemption and everything, but... She does something for herself. Yeah, exactly. It was for herself, but it was also for the good of the community. Well, that was about getting communication out there, which is interesting that, like, that's what you brought up because I was thinking about how Hermione, the way that she doesn't communicate with Harry prior to any of that, Mm -hmm. and how everything for Harry is kind of like a slap in the face. That's the wrong term, but the same kind of idea. Oh, this is what we're doing. I'm sorry. I didn't prepare for this, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, even what happens right before that with Cho and Madame Puddyfoots. Yeah, like, and then Hermione is like, well, you should have done this. How the fuck... Right. Like, how am I supposed to know those right. and that's, How am I supposed to read her mind? It's kind of a pushback at the fact that Harry and Cho are not communicating properly because they don't know how. Because mm-hmm. they're teenagers who are both suffering. I mean, there's even some things like the whole thing with Marietta that you could chalk up almost to poor communication. It's still a little bit confusing to me about how that whole sneak thing happened. Right, because we don't know for sure if she told Umbitch because she was interrogated or that she went right to her and said, this is happening. I was maybe best that we don't know because we don't want to be like, well, she went right to Umbitch. She got what she deserved. I don't want to have those kind of feelings toward her. Me neither. It looked like you were going to say something. No. No? Nothing about communication either? I mean, that's the central theme of this book. <laughs> There's not much. Period? <laughs> Period. I mean, that's it. That's the book. End of story. (laughs) Maybe you should have asked me this before I had a lot of rum. Mm. I did. I sent you the thing via email. Then I had rum. Well, I'm not responsible for your rum intake, sir. I am here to entertain the people. Are you not entertained? They love you. So you're like the freaking mascot that comes through the baseball game. Be like, here's some t-shirts. I don't understand how baseball games work. I got t-shirts. You do? I can throw t-shirts at you. All right. You got a cannon? Like a t-shirt cannon? My fist is a cannon. (laughs) Your fist is a cannon? He really is the Ron Weasley of this group. Yeah. You're Aryan. I'm Hermione. Yeah. Who in the silver trio are we? You're Neville. (laughs) Yes. That's easy. You're Luna. Yep. I'm Ginny. Yep. You're not Luna? And I'm Ginny because he's not Ginny. And you're Neville. Okay? Yes, I know that I'm clearly Neville. You can't be Ginny. I I'm, have to be I'm Ginny. I'm 100% Neville. That is fair. Luna. He's Luna because he's good energy. Look at Aww. his smile. Look at that little smile. <laughs> I might be a divination bitch, but I think that he's more Luna than I am. You're Ginny because you're like, actually, reducto fuckers. I'm I've been quiet ass. over here this whole time. Well, with that, let's move on to our third and final topic, which is... <laughs> Teamwork, trust, and instinct. Okay, so here's the thing. This book works because there are people working together to keep everyone alive. So much teamwork in this book. 
So much teamwork in this book. So much Good teamwork job. in this book. Good job, Brian. Let's give, give us an example, Brian. Dumbledore's army. Beautiful. Fucking yes. teamwork. They the teamed, AA, Albus' army. They worked that team. <laughs> they worked the fucking shit out of that team for that teamwork. Well, the thing about teamwork in this book, thinking especially of this final moment where Hermione and some Ron are like, is Sirius in danger though? They still trust Harry's instinct. They're like, this is not what we want to do, but we're going to support you. We're going to go with you. And that I think is a huge part of teamwork that we just kind of go, but then it's not working as a team, but it is. You got to do things you don't want to do. Or in this case, you do things you don't want to do. You probably shouldn't have because, you know, circumstances and outcomes are different. In the long run, that's really what matters is that they are all together whether or not they see the same thing that Harry is seeing. They trust in Harry, first of all. Whether or not his instincts are a thing, which usually Harry's instincts are correct, because that's the other one, is that Harry has like that feeling that something is up with the creature at Christmas time. Dot agrees. Dot does agree. Thank you for your input since your father isn't giving too much. Whoa. <laughs> Dot is the vocal one in this household. That is very accurate. I have to give it you a laugh. Adam's the villain. That's the thing. Instinct, a lot of this comes from Harry. It's interesting that divination is kind of a big overarching theme in this book as well, with Trelawney and the Sagittarius and all that. The prophecy. But the one who is getting the visions is Harry. And in this case, of course, it isn't divination, but he's having these instincts and there's some trust that needs to happen there. I mean, you mentioned this stuff with Sirius, but the instinct and the trust involving Mr. Weasley's attack as well. And some of the things that they learn at St. Mungo's, particularly around the Broderick Bode, that is kind of like the little mystery section where they figure out, oh, they killed Broderick Bode with the Devil's Snare because he worked at the Department of Mysteries and they had to silence him and all of that. Some of that, I think, comes from the instinct that they had back when they were at St. Mungo's, too. I'm sorry, our fucking trio, they do not mind their own goddamn business ever. A lot of this stuff at the end of the day still kind of revolves around Harry, so I kind of get it. But they don't mind their business. Love them anyway. There's an interesting level of trust in the moment when Harry is sharing all of his information with Dumbledore, with everyone in his office, and then, of course, back at Grimmauld Place about what he sees, that they're not questioning him. Dumbledore questions him, but not to say he doesn't believe him, but to get information. There's no other questioning otherwise. They all trust what he is going through. So again, when we get to go time at the end of the book, as much as Hermione and Ron are on the correct page, I can't imagine that either of them are 100% sure in the opposite of Harry's feelings. Harry's instincts have always been this type of thing. And that's one reason why they go with him, I think. I mean, besides the fact that they're just very loyal friends, if they 100% believed that Sirius wasn't in danger, they wouldn't have gone with him. They would have gone right to Snape and been like, we need to fix this and let Harry go on his own and hope Snape got there first or continued fighting with him while someone ran to Snape. Like they would have done something. There is a level of Harry's instincts that they are still holding on to even though they're doubting it. It's ironic that our themes here are all kind of connected. That Mm -hmm. denial, 
lack of communication and instinct, which shows how muddy this book is. And I mean, I kind of thought the entire time while reading this book, it really parallels the misinformation that is in the real world. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to see these three themes that are separate, but also collaborative, I suppose. All right, All right, let's move into favorites. What is your favorite chapter of this book? I don't remember the chapter number, but it's the centaur and the snake. Oh, okay. That is the one where Dumbledore just fucking is amazing. Is that Dumbledore's exit from yeah. the school? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and That's the way that one. he and McGonagall and even Kingsley, who he has to like curse, take care of Marietta and Harry, mm-hmm. one. Two, the way that Dumbledore just handles everything. He gets it. And it's just a cool read. What are you, Brian? It's hard to pick because I have so many favorite moments Mm -hmm. from the book that it's hard to choose an overall chapter. For example, Dumbledore's Exit. Great moment Mm -hmm. from the book. It's such a small thing and it's not relevant to the plot very much. But in career advice, when McGonagall goes off on Umbridge, mm, it's hard not to choose that chapter because of that moment. Oh, yeah. Because it's just so fucking brilliant. I absolutely love that. I would say honorary mention to the Grops. Because the Grops. Yes. Really just because Chad. He said that president. He did. He made that what it is. I kind of agree. Originally, and I think I still stick by this. St. Mungo's Hospital from Magical Maladies. And Christmas on the Closed Ward. Yeah, I'd say that Christmas on the Closed Ward is number two. There's so much world building there. There's so much that we miss out on the movies. There's a lot of richness. There is a lot of familial familiarity. But another one that I really enjoyed for the same reason is Department of Mysteries. Because you see so much beyond the veil, no pun intended, but like all these other things that are very real but also part of the magical world. Yeah. You're totally right, Brian. There's so many moments that it's hard to choose. What about your favorite new character from this book? I mean, is there any other answer besides it? There is. And the answer is Tonks. Hold on one second. Because those are my two. You're right. There's Luna, but then you're like, fucking Tonks. Yeah, I just want to read you exactly what my notes say on this. And it says, it's Luna for everyone, right? Also, except Tonks is here. And dear God, I love her. But lastly, we got to give some love. Phineas Nigella. I love it. Okay, so here's the thing. The third book, we get Lupin and Sirius. In this book, we get Luna, and we get Tonks, and we get Phineas Nigelis and his sassiness. Yes! Yeah. You know, I call Pomfrey an unsung hero. He really is. Nobody really gives him any credit. He's the levity we need every time he's there. Yeah. I think for Tonks, like, when she dies... It hurts because she's cool and she's relatable. And also she literally has a newborn infant at home. I mean, that too, of course. (laughs) How about she doesn't die until she's a very old woman? She lives a very long, healthy life. (laughs) The world where things were opposite, it would hurt just as much if Luna were in that position. We even say that about so many other characters too. These characters, though, are like a shining moment in this book that is so desolate in some areas. It's good that we get both of them. It's good that we have this conversation. Of course it's Luna, but of course it's also Tonks. What is your favorite quote? I will start because I alluded to it in the last episode, and it's that moment at the end when he is going to Hagrid's hut and or returning. There's a similar notion. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but essentially that when he is alone, he wants to be around people, and when he's around people, he wants to be alone. Because as someone who's an INTJ and introverted, I 
absolutely feel that. And through everything that he's been through, it's difficult to sometimes relate to Harry in this book because it's just too deep. The trauma is far mm-hmm. too deep. But there, it's like, okay, this makes it feel tangible. And this makes it me feel a little bit more about what Harry is feeling as well. I love it. Brian? I would say my favorite quote is from Sirius, and it's, The world isn't split into good people and death eaters. We've all got both light and dark inside us. What matters is the part that we choose to act on. That's who we really are. That's also One of the most beautiful quotes in the whole series. Absolutely. I think that's one of the quotes that I was thinking in my library. It's a very beautiful quote. It's very accurate. And it's great that it comes from someone like Sirius who is so content with the fact that he is such a flawed person. Like, I think that he knows how flawed he is. He's just trying to be a better person. We were joking, you know, we are all Ron, but Sirius is all of us. Like, we are people who live in a broken world who understand that we are just doing our best. And I think Sirius is just doing his best with the shitty hand he's been dealt. So my main one is, anything's possible if you've got enough nerve, which is what Ginny says to Harry when they're setting up whatever to get into Umbridge's fire. But I also need to acknowledge the high-level sassiness in this book because it must be documented. First of all, I'm giving it to, um, to, oh, no. Ew. I'm right. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading. <laughs> I'm giving to McGonagall. He has achieved high marks in all defense against the dark arts test set by a competent teacher. Yes, Quen. Also, the twins. We won't be seeing you, Fred told Professor Umbridge, swinging his leg over his broomstick. Yeah, don't bother to keep in touch, said George, mounting his. Amazing. (laughs) Also, Harry. We all know Harry is like the most sassy ever. In this book, he's got the best one. So the first one I wrote down is at the beginning of the book. Listening to the news again from the Dursleys. Well, it changes every day, you see, said Harry. Followed very close behind by... This is night, Diddykins. That's what we call it when it goes all dark like this. To um, bitch. Yeah, Quirrell was a great teacher. There was just the minor drawback of him having Lord Voldemort sticking out the back of his head. And then, of course, later on, wow, wonder what it would be like to have a difficult life. I had to document all the sass. So there it is. And lastly, I mean, in this book, we get have a biscuit butter. We do. And what we almost gave them up. But also, let us not forget Hermione's line. The emotional Just because you have the emotional range of a teaspoon. teaspoon. There you go. Doesn't mean the rest of us have. (laughs) This book has so much sassiness. I love it. I wrote a thing for the movie. It's kind of long, so I'm going to have the two of them share it back and forth. Because we didn't get to focus as much on the movie about the second half because it didn't follow very well and we kind of gave up on it. So we're going to give the movie a little bit more of a chance because it's an actual great movie. So here we go. Okay. Also, I really quickly like to award Tara the esteemed privilege of writing the longest thing ever. Yes, but it's, it's not about a whole movie. fucking movie. It's the so. movie. But I'll right. take it. You ready, Brian? I'm first, but I want to make sure you're like, oh, I'm ready to load it. I got it. So, Harry's just hanging out at the park. Dudley and his friends appear out of nowhere and taunt him. Then Harry breaks the law and points his wand at his cousin in front of his fluffy dinner dumpling pals. Cue sudden summer storm, a cool running sequence. And then, what's this? The sheets with a hole are back. Harry saves Dudley's soul, and the two are accompanied back to good old number four Privet Drive by Mrs. Fig, where Roxana cannot control her lust for Fiona Shaw and how fucking sexy she is in this scene. Anyway, 
Uncle Vernon threatens Harry with a spoon, and a howler flies into the house saying Harry has been expelled. He is rescued that night by the real Mad-Eye Moody, Tonks, Kingsley, and about three to four other wizards nobody bothers to introduce. The disregard for the stature of secrecy continues as they fly over the Thames within sight of any muggle who bothers to look. They fly to a dark, dirty flat in London, and Harry is finally reunited with Ron and Hermione. Everyone wore stripes today, and nobody told Harry about the dress code, so he gets annoyed with them. Understandably so. Crookshanks ruins the teenager's attempt to hear what's going on in the secret meeting downstairs, but at dinner they manage to get some info out of the adults. Harry requests to join the Order of the Phoenix, but is told he's too young. Next is a delightful sequence of Harry and Mr. Weasley heading to the Ministry for Harry's hearing. Then it's no longer delightful when Kingsley shows up to tell them Harry's hearing has been moved up. Dumble shows up as the hearing begins. Nobody lets Harry actually speak for himself, but Dumble brings in Mrs. Fig, and he kicks ass at running a brilliant defense of Harry. We jump to King's Cross Station. It remains unclear whether or not Sirius is wearing anything under his coat. And also Harry hallucinates. Voldemort or dreams about him. Again, unclear. Then we meet the iconic Luna Lovegood and also the Majestic Thestrals. We're back at Hogwarts, but it's automatically ruined because there's a pink blight sitting next to Snape. That's right, Pink Damon is here, played to absolutely unnerving perfection by Imelda Staunton. Everyone is staring at Harry and giving him rude looks. Harry takes out his frustration by kicking his drunk and yelling at Ron. Umbitch speaks to her class like they're infants, and after they learn they're not using magic in defense against the dark arts, Harry yells at her and she gives him detention. After putting entirely too much sugar in her tea, Pink Bitch welcomes Harry into her office for some torture, I mean detention. There's some cute flirting between Ron and Hermione and Harry writes a letter to Sirius, followed by a visit to Hagrid's empty hut and an encounter with Luna feeding raw meat to a Thestral. She gives the audience, and Harry, a helpful explanation of them, and also the reassurance that she and her father believe him about the return of Voldy. There's an epic challenge between Umbitch and McGud in the entrance hall. This leads to the introduction of Umbitch being named High Inquisitor. There's a montage of educational decrees being hung in the hallway, while the pink hoe inspects the other professors and continues to do what she can to eliminate fun from Hogwarts. When she goes to fire Trelawney, Chode is stopped by Dumble. Things escalate and Sirius appears in the common room fire and tells the trio that things are not good out there. They go to the Hogshead in Hogsmeade and Hermione has gathered a group together to discuss learning defense against the Dark Arts from Harry. Harry is disheartened by the skeptical response by one student, but then Luna, Neville, and Hermione tell everyone about the things Harry's done in the last 40 years. And so here comes the next movie montage. DA lessons in the room of requirement mixed with Filch and some Slytherins trying to get into the room. And of course, more of Unmitch making life miserable for everyone. Then it's the last DA lesson before Christmas and Harry shares a wet, awkward kiss with Cho. Harry dreams about Mr. Weasley. <laughs> then he dreams about attacking him. The Weasley children and Harry are taken to Dumble's office. Harry yells at him. Snape appears like the creep he is and drags Harry into the dungeons to teach him occlumency, but doesn't give him any actual instruction. It's Christmas at Grimmauld Place. There are some amazing moments between Harry and Sirius, and we learn more about Sirius's family. Hagrid is back in Hogwarts, and Umbitch interrogates him about where he's been, and Loki threatens him to his face before leaving. He tells the kids about going to see the giants. The next morning, they learn of the mass breakout from Azkaban, and Seamus apologizes to Harry. The next DA lesson is disrupted by Inquisitorial Bitch, and Harry is taken to Dumble's office. Dumble takes the blame for the illegal DA group, and then escapes Hogwarts with Fox. 
The pink bitch is now head mistress, and we learn that she was able to find their meeting because Cho ratted them out. Hagrid then introduces the trio to Grop before Hagrid goes to another Aquamancy lesson. This time, he defends himself against Snape's attacks and accidentally sees his memory of Harry's father bullying him in school. He kicks Harry out, and as he is walking back to his dorm, he sees the twins and pink bitch before Fred states that their time at Hogwarts may be over. They're taking their owls when the fireworks start, and there's an awesome sequence of Pink Bitch and her minions being attacked by fireworks. Educational decrees are being destroyed, Flitwick and the students rejoicing, and the twins making a triumphant exit on their brooms. The merriment is interrupted when Harry collapses in the crowd of students and has a vision that Sirius is being tortured by Voldemort. Hermione tries to reason with Harry, and they decide to try to use Umbridge's fire to talk to Sirius, but the bitch catches them, and randomly Neville, Ginny, and Luna are also there. She summons Snape and asks for Veritaserum, and he informs the audience that she had used it all interrogating the students, including Cho. Hermione tricks Cho into going into the Forbidden Forest with her and Harry. She catches on that it's a trick, but before she can do anything, the Sagittarius's appear. She attacks one, but they go after her just as the Grops appear. He picks her up, and she ends up being carried away by the Sagittarius's. They thank the Grops, then meet the others on the bridge. Harry tries to wave off the extra help, but Neville puts him in his place before Luna comes up with a plot that will get them to London, flying on Thestrals. They get into the Ministry, that is terrifyingly empty, and go to the Department of Mysteries, into the Hall of Prophecies, where they do not find Sirius. They find the prophecy. Harry picks it up, and then enter the Death Eaters. Lucius Malfoy removes his mask, and somehow his hair is down, and looking pretty damn good. Bellatrix taunts Harry, and Neville threatens to avenge his parents. There is a fairly epic battle between the kids and the Death Eaters, where the adults are kind of getting their asses kicked. That is until they end up in the room with the stone archway, and the Death Eaters capture each of them except Harry. Lucius asks for the prophecy in exchange for the lives of his friends. Harry gives it to them, and then Sirius is there, and suddenly, so are Lupin. Tonks, Moody, and Kingsley. Harry disarms Malfoy and Sirius, calls him James right before Bellatrix hits him with a killing curse. Sirius falls through the veil in the archway, and Lupin tries to hold him back, but Harry runs after Bellatrix to avenge his godfather. He tries to use Crucio on her, but now Voldy is here. Before Harry can do anything, Dumble arrives. Then the coolest magical duel in a series unfolds between Dumble and Voldy, complete with quite a bit of water and structural damage at the Ministry but also the amazing destruction of the giant banner of Fudge Packer. Then, Voldy tries to possess Harry, but Harry fights him, and Voldy gives up for now. Then Fudge Packer and the Aurors and Percy Griffin show up, and the fucking idiot finally believes that Voldy is back because he's literally standing in front of him. Harry and Dumble discuss Sirius's death and what the prophecy means. Then there's a shot of Filch looking very sad that his BFF Pinko is gone before Harry and Luna have another beautiful moment before the end of the year feast. We get one more great shot of the Golden Trio with the Silver Trio walking behind them as soon as they are about to get on the Hogwarts Express. There we go! That's the Woo. movie! What was your favorite part of the movie? Probably the battle, mm-hmm. to be honest. Same. Like, most of the movie, it's good. I like it as a movie. I just don't like it as an adaptation. One hundred percent. Yeah, I like, think that's right. That the battle is hot. Also, though, the actors are incredible. Yes, Melville Staunton so perfectly cast. Also, though, Daniel Radcliffe is great in this movie. He's good, obviously, in all the movies. But he had to do so much in this movie, and I think he's very successful. Yeah. That being said, I don't love Emma Watson's performance in this movie. 
But I wonder if that's the writing because it felt very like but shitty. Yeah. Also, Ivana Lynch. Ivana Lynch is perfect. Lynch, I was there's literally not a thing I would change about her. I truly think the three best people cast in this entire series are Maggie, Maggie Smith. Smith. I think a lot of things get lost in translation to the point of Hermione. I mean, in the book, she comes off a little bit harsh at times, too. But in the movie, it's, it's cold. Really it's kind of cold in the movie. Yeah. And like, that's not Emma Watson and that's not Hermione. Yeah. I think Emma Watson's a very warm performer and I like her in all the movies. But whatever was going on with the script mm-hmm. in this movie, it just was not. There's like a moment where they're in the Gryffindor common room and it's like, we have to do something, we have to do something. And like the lines are mixed up. Her approach, cold is a good word Yeah, for it just it. doesn't fit for so, me. So ultimately in the movie, that's what you want to be the biggest moment is that big final battle. I will say, I do think that the ministry takes a lot of the spotlight in terms of what is exciting and new. It's additional world building. They do a great job mm-hmm. on it, both at the beginning I and I think the ministry end. looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other moments too, you know, them rescuing Harry looks really great. Grinnell Place is another place that I, I mean, honestly, I would like to have seen more. But yeah, it's a good movie. It's a rough adaptation. I think that's my like verdict as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that people always say like, oh, the fourth one's my favorite movie. Mm-mm. No, the fourth no. one is so disappointing. And that's not even because the fourth one's a bad adaptation. I don't think the fourth one is good as a movie. Yeah. I, I think the fourth one is so rushed and disjointed. Yeah. Whereas the fifth one, I feel like you could watch it not knowing the book and still... Still get a full story. Yeah. Right. That the, makes sense. The only thing that I always think, I feel like if I didn't read the books, I would have no clue what was happening, is... Mrs. Fig at the yeah. beginning. Does not explain anything. Not even her. a little. I remember seeing it in theaters because they don't introduce her in the first one. No. Even though they talk about her in the first book. And I remember seeing it in theaters thinking if I hadn't read the books, I would be so confused because I would have yeah. no clue who yeah. this bitch yeah, is. That's, That's it though. Other than that, I feel like for the most part, the movie does a great job of explaining what it provides. So the next question actually, what do you wish was in the movie that is not... That's a great point about Mrs. Fig. Obviously for me, it's Mungos. I mean, okay, like, so... Yeah. St. Mungos is a close second. I think that more important than St. Mungos, and I hate saying this, and this is kind of a change more than a, like, not included, but I'm sorry, most important thing that they fucked up in this movie, Bellatrix using Avada Kedavra. And yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. That and, is the biggest fuck up of the and movie. And Sirius saying James, too. That is just gross. Lack of understanding... Of Harry and Sirius's relationship, but as far as changing the fucking plot, Sirius dies because he was hit with a curse in front of the veil, yeah. not because he was hit with the killing curse. And they didn't even do it right. He's hit with the killing curse and he reacts. You die instantly when you're hit with the killing curse. You don't do the oh no, I've been killed face, yeah, and then die like they fucked that up. But yes, also I would have loved Saint Mungo's. Also. Dobby. They, Dobby. Like, what they did in the fourth again. movie yeah. was that they gave Dobby shit to Neville, and they did it again in this movie. And then in the seventh movie, we have to care about Dobby. Of course we do, because we care about Dobby. But. Right. Yeah. St. Mungo's for sure. Not even because, like, it was crucial to the plot. Like, yeah, there are some important things that happened there. But it's important for the characters. Yeah. And I really would have just loved to see it. 
I feel like for how much they dwell on the whole Harry and Cho thing, I would have liked to see what actually happened with them and why that yeah. fizzled out. That's yeah, fair. that's a good point. Especially because like the actress who plays Cho is adorable. Put her on screen more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely would have loved to see the Beetle at Bay. Um, oh, speaking yeah, of Beetle Bay, yes, yeah, yeah the oh, whole Rita Ski. Oh my God, that entire storyline of her like, article about Miranda him. Miranda Richardson yeah. is a Gwen. Put her in the movie for sure. That's a good point too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary friends, we are at the point where that you've all been waiting for, and that is my points breakdown. <laughs> God, he has a piano in his living room. First, a few fun facts about this batch of points. 128 entities received or lost points in the Order of the Phoenix, and that's at 44 levels. So far through the series, 208 of those entities have received or lost points, which means 61.5 are included in this book, 59 of the entities in this rank completely new. That's 46% new in this book and 28 new in the series. This is also the book with the lowest score. I don't think that's a shock. What? This book has a total of negative 246 points. Chamber of Secrets is second with 125. Sorcerer of Stone is third with 495. Prisoner of Azkaban is fourth with 805. And Goblet of Fire is the winning book right now with 976 points. Does that shock you? No. I don't think it's shocking either. We also have the first main character wizard with no house. Who do you think that is? Main character with yes, no house? Yes, I would say this is a main character that is new that I could not find a house on. I don't know. Kingsley. For oh. some reason, I have done a lot of research and I found convincing arguments for all houses but Gryffindor. And even more minor characters like Grubbly Plink and Longbottoms had houses and all of those are Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. A few fun facts. Gran Longbottoms' first name is Augusta. Yeah. Mrs. Black's first name is Walburga. McNair's first name is Walden. Walden? Yes. And the only possible first name for Perkins that I could find was Sue. But I figured that was internet bullshit, so I didn't count that. We also have the first name that is repeated in the points through the series thus far. So two characters with the same name. Who do you think that is? Other than Tom? Other than Tom. I don't know. Because I didn't give the innkeeper points or anything. It's Frank. Frank Bryce and oh, Frank, Frank Longbottom. Yep. Isn't that crazy? But Tom, you're right, because Tom the Innkeeper. Yeah, that's literally part of Voldemort's trajectory. Now, we do have a couple close calls. Michael Corner doesn't count because the other repeat is Michael Gambon, who's not a character in the series. And Augusta Longbottom and Augustus Rookwood come close, but obviously that's not the case. And technically, we do have Dolores Jane Umbridge the human and Dolores Jane Umbridge the troll from the first book. Um, <laughs> there are two entities who have zero points throughout the entire series, and those two people are Amos Diggory and James Potter. All right. They have been awarded points and then taken away, and they are zero. Recurring characters who are getting points for the first time in this book are, there's two of them, Alicia Spinett and Mundungus Fletcher. Recurring characters who have only gotten points once this far. Recurring that start in this book don't count. So, like, Luna, obviously, she only got points. But 
is Ben's Buckbeak, Christmas, Death Eaters in general, Errol, Ollivander, Mrs. Norris, Penelope, Clearwater, Gringotts, Goblins, Trevor, and the Trolley Lady. And this does not include other characters that we know come back and will probably receive points. Mm -hmm. That includes Fleur, Charlie, Bill, Igor Karkaroff, Nagini, and some others. So finally, here's our ranking. What are we doing? First, top ten characters. Give me a guess. Who do you expect to see in the top Hermione, Dumbledore, McGonagall. Okay. Is it for this book specifically? For this book specifically. Luna. Ron. Tonks. Okay. Serious. All of those answers are correct. So, let's go through it. Number one, the winner of this book, based on points, is Elvis Dumbledore, 240. Really? Yes. Number two, Harry Potter, 225. Oh. I know. Kind of surprising. Number three, Ron Weasley, at 200. Four, Minerva McGonagall, at 195. Five, Luna Lovegood at 145. Six, Ginny Weasley at 135. Yes, Ginny. Seven is a tie between Neville Longbottom and Sirius Black at 110. Eight is Hermione Granger at 105. That's probably the lowest that Hermione has been. Nine is a four-way tie between George, Fred, Molly, and the Grops (laughs) at 100. And ten is Nymphador, Tonks, and Remus Lupin at 80. I like that one. Alright, I'm going to really quickly go through the others and then we'll have some guesses for the bottom ten. So, editing Adam here, let's speed this part up a little bit. Number 11, 70 points, Alistair Moody. Number 12, 60 points, A Love Story for the Ages, Dobby Kingsley Shacklewolf. Number 13, 55 points, Fox. Number 14, 50 points, Arabella Fig, Arthur Wesley, Olympia Maxine, The Collective Sagittarius of the Forbidden Forest. Number 15, 45 points, The Outcasted Teachers, uh, Rubius Hagrid, and Some Johnny. Ah, that's fun. Yeah, I know. I know that's fun too. Number 16, 40 points, Rebus Here. Surprise. Number 17, 35, Wilhelmina Bradley Plank. Number 18, 30 points, Alice Longbottom, Frank Longbottom, Ernie McMillan, Philly Slitwick, and Ferenz. Number 19, 30 points, Grizzle Marchbanks, Poppy Pomfrey, Professor Toffee, and this bitch, Terry Corkery. Yes! Aww. Number 20, 25 points. <laughs> Angelina Johnson, Joe Chang, Lee Jordan, Phineas and Joe's Black, and Susan Bones. 21, 20 points. Amelia Bones, Dan Huntsinker, <laughs> Bang, Carcass, Augusta Longbottom, Victoria Kurgesner. Number 22, 15 points. Anthony Goldstein, Hannah Abbott, Hedwig, Justin Finch Lashley, Peeves, Sorting Hat, Sir Nicholas Sibbins, Corpington, Terry Boots. Number 23, 10 points. This bitch, Ryan Jackson. <laughs> Robert Bowe, Dean Thomas, Douglas Diggle, Elvis Dodge, Emily Vance, Hestia Jones, Willie Evans, Sturgis Podmore, Parv Betty Cookville, <sighs> Pomona Sprout, Nifflers, <laughs> Tiberius Ogden, Seamus Finnegan, Ida- an Identified Witch in the Wizarding Map, number one, Unidentified Witch in the Number two, and finally, the Wizard Fountain's decapitated head. Number 24, <laughs> five points, Elisa Spinette, Colin Creedy, Crookshanks, Dennis Creedy, Dillis Derwin, Eric Munch, Giant Squid, Katie Bell, Lambda Brown, Michael Corner, Mr. Tibbles, Pad Muppetil, Perkins, Bettini Juicely, Professor Everard, and Xenophilius Lovegood. Number 25, now we're negative points. Negative five, Aberforth, Dumbledore, Dudley Dursley, Marietta Edge, Combs, Sir Cadogan, Stan Shunpike. 26, now you have 10 points, but those are hot Kirk, Wilburga Black, Mrs. Finnegan, Regulus Black, Willie Wood and Shins. Number 27, negative 15 points, Gilderoy Lockhart. He's alone because he deserves that. Number 28, negative 20 points, Golgameth, Cassius Warrington, and Millicent Bolstrode. Number 29, negative 25 points, James Potter, Montgomery, Fletcher, Candy Parkinson. 30, negative 30 points, Gregory Goyle, and the Daily Prophet. Number 31, negative 35 points, Vernon Dursley. 32, negative 40 points, Argus Filch. 33, negative 50 points, Avery Crab Sr., Jumpson, Mulsiver, uh, Bastion Lestrange, or Dolphus Lestrange, Voldemort, and Vincent Crab. Number 34, negative 60, Summer Snake. <laughs> Our bottom ten. Oh. Who is in our bottom ten? Lucius Malfoy, Bellatrix Lestrange, Pink Chode, Snape. Snape was at number thirty. Oh, he was? That's right. I just hate him so much. Draco Malfoy. Malfoy. All of those are correct. Okay. Number 35. Negative 65, Creature. Oh, yes. Creature makes sense. 36, negative 75, Augustus Rookwood. 37, negative 85, Lucius Malfoy. 38, negative 95, Walden Gnair. Oh yeah, that guy sucks too. 39, negative 100, Antonin Dalahov. 
Ooh, that guy sucks. 40, negative 130, Bellatrix Lestrange. In fourth place for the bottom, negative 140, Percy Weasley. Oh, God. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like Percy maybe doesn't deserve to be that low. <laughs> but you know what? When the time comes, the time comes, man. 42, negative you know, 225, that... Draco Malfoy. Now we have our bottom two people. Oh, Fudge and Pedro. Yes, 43, negative 355, Cornelius Fudge. And number 44, no one is what? surprised. Let's... Negative 1,666. I, gonna... I, I wanted to guess how many negative points she had. Oh, well, it's 1666, because that's how it did it. Editing Adam is back. So this episode, we had a first. This is the first time that my computer died during recording. We recorded a little over three hours of content during this session. And there's a little bit more to come in the episode. But I did not actually get to go through all of the rest of my point stuff. So let's go through that really quickly. Right now, the top five in the series in order are Harry Potter with 1,210 points. Albus Dumbledore with 745 points. Hermione Granger with 700. Minerva McGonagall with 450 and Ron Weasley with 385. That makes a lot of sense. Let's see how that'll change in the next two books. Bottom five in order are Voldemort with negative 380, Peter Pettigrew with negative 400, Cornelius Fudge, negative 530, Draco Malfoy with 610, and Pink Chode Lady with negative 1666. The best Gryffindor is Harry, worst Gryffindor is Skinny Dick. Best Hufflepuff is Cedric, worst Hufflepuff is his father at zero. Best Ravenclaw is Luna, worst Ravenclaw is Barty Crouch Sr. Best Slytherin is, of course, myself, and the worst Slytherin is Pink Chode Lady. Best Magical Creature is Fox, worst Magical Creature is the Basilisk. Best Magical Object, in quotes, is Christmas, and worst is Quirrell's Turban. The best of the Muggle slash Squib category is Mrs. Fig, and the worst is Vernon Dursley. And then our final category is Best Uncategorized Magical Human. Best is Madame Maxime, and worst is Jugson. I actually couldn't find his house, but if he's a Slytherin, then the worst is actually Igor Karkaroff, which is kind of fun. Maxime versus Karkaroff. And then overall series points of those eight categories. First is obviously Gryffindor, with 5,600. So five. Second is Hufflepuff with 740. However, they have the best track record with still zero negative points five books in. Are they ever going to get negative points? That remains to be seen. Third place is Uncategorized Magical Human with 285. Fourth is Magical Objects with 245. And then fifth through eighth are all negative points. Fifth is Muggles and Squibs, negative 130. Sixth is Ravenclaw with negative 185. Seventh is Magical Creatures with negative 720. And of course, last place is My House, the Slytherins, with negative 4,906 points. No thanks to me, I'm the best Slytherin. All right, let's move on. Take it away, Tara's computer, since mine died. We're doing Mad Libs, guys. Adam's computer died, so I'm just going to go through real quick the things that I had asked for just so we can kind of get this. So the first one was a noun, and that was dildo. The next one was a verb, which was hungry. And the next one was a place, your mom's butt. And the next one was a verb, shitting. And the next one was another verb, humping. I really hope that the sequence is your mom's butt shitting. The next one on here was a body part, and that was titties. And the next one on here was a noun, and that was baby. And the next one on here was a adjective, and that was zesty. And the next one was a noun, which is taco. The next one was a verb, licking. And then a noun, skeleton. Finally, 
a noun buttholes, but we have more to fill in. Yay. So I need you guys to give me a verb. Suck. No. Okay. I was going to say pee pee. And then also an adjective. Skunky. Because there's a skunk outside. There is, yes. Okay. And plural noun. Peepees. Okay. Like little tiny penises. Okay. And then another noun. Truck. And a verb? Rancid. Wait, what'd you say? That rancid is not that a verb. That is an adjective. Oh, so shit. You can save it for Rancidly. Verb, blow. Blow, and then rancidly. Oh, wait, the... you said verb. Oh, my yes. God. Yes. Um, adjective is next. Would you like rancid? Rancid. Okay, noun. Chicken, Chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets. Ooh. I used that in the last one, too. Okay, and noun. Baba statue. Oh, let's go with statue. <laughs> a noun. Sex swing. Sex swing. Okay, is and that... then an adjective. Spicy. Spicy. And then a noun. Uh, Suck. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. I'm sure that I've messed up at least one part of speech here, but I don't care because my brain doesn't work. I'm going to read you a Mad Lib. And just for context, this is the back cover of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> As told by Brian and Adam, there is a dildo at the end of a hungry mom's butt. <laughs> and already starting off really good and it's shitting harry potter's dreams why else would he be waking in the middle of the night humping in terror harry has a lot on his titties for this his fifth year at hogwarts a defense against the dark arts baby with a personality like zesty tacos a big surprise on the gryffindor quidditch team and the licking skeleton of the ordinary wizarding level buttholes <laughs> But all these things suck next to the growing threat of he who must not be named. A threat that neither the skunky government nor the peepees at Hogwarts can stop. Damn. The peepees at Hogwarts, yeah. The skunky government. <laughs> that resonates. As the grasp of trucks tighten, Harry must blow the true depth and rancid up its chicken nuggets, the importance of boundless statue, and the shocking sex swing of spicy sacrifice. His sock depends on them all. The spicy sacrifice. <laughs> That is better than the first one I think you did. It is so fun. It's a keeper. And here we are. I can't wait to do it the first time in the next book. And on that note. And on that note. What are we looking forward to in the sixth book? Yes. Off the top of my head, Slughorn. You know, he's not perfect, but he is a new professor who isn't a complete dickweed. He is definitely on my list for what I'm looking forward to. Slughorn's history and backstory are a completely unique new thing. You have to do something different with him to make him interesting. And how that ties in with the history we learn about Voldemort. It's so interesting. Yes. Obviously, throughout Basic Snitch's history, we've been talking about Horcruxes. At every chance we can get, we've been trying to follow along their progression. And we finally get to learn about Horcruxes, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Like, I'm really looking forward to that as well. For me, it's the backstory of Voldemort. Yeah. yeah. I remember reading the Half-Blood Prince as a kid slash teenager, thinking that it was such a boring book. I remember it was my least favorite book because... I was like, okay, the entire last book was all about how Voldemort is back. And now this book, Voldemort's not even in it. What is this mm -hmm. bullshit? This is yeah. so stupid. Then I reread it as an adult recently. 
it's my favorite book. I love the idea of being able to look at that piece by piece. When we're not consuming the book all at once, I really think that we're going to get so much more out of it, taking it down chapter by chapter. Yeah, I completely agree. I think analyzing is one of the fun things about this podcast. I have always thought, especially starting with the last book, so many new characters. Let's like document them and like really try to look at their trajectories. There are some that we're going to learn about in Voldemort's backstory in the next book that I want to understand better. Uh-huh. You know, I think of Hepzibah Smith. Yeah. And Marola Gaunt and all of these other characters that are so integral without being like at the forefront. It takes me back to all of the Bertha Jorkins discussions that we had in the last book. The other thing, and you guys might be shocked to hear this, I'm really interested to break down chapter by chapter the book that is supposed to make us see Snape as a good teacher. I still don't believe that he is actually a good teacher and I am open and willing to accept that his teaching style does actually teach something to these students within the next book when he changes positions. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're not going to convince me. Like, I'm so interested to have that experience. And I think if we take it chapter by chapter, I might be able to see what other people see when they're all like, but Harry learned so much from him and everyone else didn't traumatize him. So, you know, so please, Half-Blood Prince, I'm counting on you to teach me otherwise. I think I kind of agree. Boiling Snape down to just a good teacher is tough. Can he teach? Yes. Maybe. Is he a supportive teacher? Does he embrace his students? All of these other elements that go into teaching efficiently and correctly, he's not going to have all of those elements. I don't think, well, I was going to say, I don't know if there's any professor who embodies all those elements, but I'm not so sure about that. We obviously love Minka. We love Sprout and Flitwick as well. If we really didn't analyze all of them individually, we may find some shortcomings and whatnot, but Snape has the complexity that allows us to dig more into it. That's why I'm interested to look at the book from that perspective and do it one chapter at a time because I'm I actually promise you that I don't go into every chapter being like, what is Snape going to do that's going to piss me off in this chapter? Like, I don't do that. It just happens because Snape sucks. You know, I love Prisoner of Azkaban. I still think, up to this point, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book. I think this is going to have a little bit of a similar feel to it because it's so much more focused on the backstory than some of, like, the struggles and stuff. And that's not entirely true. There's going to be some of that, too. I remember in our book four wrap-up when we were having the discussion about book five, I was really concerned about book five because of Umbridge. It's a desolate wasteland in some, some parts. And I don't think we're going to get this here. And I think it's going to be refreshing and it's going to be eye-opening. And it's going to be an opportunity to look at things more under the microscope. Yeah. What about you? What are you looking forward to in the sixth book? Anything else? It's been a few years since I've read it. That was really the thing that stuck out to me. I enjoy Slughorn. He's not my favorite character of like new people he's a good character he's fun he doesn't stand out to me as much as some others yeah really i just i love the whole backstory yeah that we get. i think it'll be interesting when we get to the wrap of book six in a year when we talk about who's your favorite new character is it going to be slughorn or is there somebody else that we're not thinking of i am totally willing to learn about other people and be reminded so we'll see was it a year ago that we did the book four wrap up i think it was over a year Book five has been a journey. I mean, it is still surprising to me that we're about to dive into book six, but not just about to because... 
Next, we are going on a break. Taking a break, guys. Yes. We were on a break. Oh, my God. Thank you. Where's that? Oh, I don't know nearly about friends. You understand. That's the only thing from friends I know. Yeah. Do you know as much about friends? Right. I don't know anything. Now, we do have one more episode this season. Yes. Is our cutting room floor. There'll be a cutting room floor. And then we'll take a break. But if you are missing us, you can always join our Patreon. We will still be sharing Patreon content throughout this summer because it's going to be what? At least a couple of weeks from the summer. We are going to be returning on Editing Adam. What's the date since my computer is done? September 14th. December yeah. 4th. I want it to be like a robotic voice. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's not December 4th. I it's know, right, 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 right. I um, think it's beginning of September. That would be perfect with the uh, Hogwarts exactly. Express leaving for Hogwarts. We'll catch you then. We'll actually catch you next week with a cutting room floor. And then, like I said, enjoy our Patreon. You'll get a little bit more of us to tide you over. Until then. Yes. Thank you, as always, for listening to us. Thank you to Brian for being our third and most valuable snitch. You are very welcome. I am because happy to be drunk with you guys. You provided delicious pizza and alcohols, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we love you. Absolutely. And that's a curtain on season five. We did it. Somehow. Not without all of its issues, and I still can't believe my laptop died, but here we are. It's all good. We're we still basic, it. guys. After basic all these years. as fuck. Good night. Farewell. Proud of you guys. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages. Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!